Hello, my name is Jenny Kyo and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Film Ireland in partnership with Still Voices Short Film Festival. We're delighted today to talk to three documentary filmmakers whose brilliant films are screening at the festival. The Still Voices Short Film Festival takes place from the 4th to the 7th of November. Hi everyone and thanks a million for joining us today on this podcast for Still Voices. We have Tom Dream and Alex and Caitlin here with their two films, uh, Snowy and Shy Radicals. Uh, Welcome here to the podcast today. Hi Jenny, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. So excited to be here. You're all very welcome to this podcast and I'm really looking forward to chatting to you about your short documentary films. So to get us going, um, it would be brilliant for our listeners if you could introduce yourselves, where you're based and give us a a small synopsis of what your film is about. And um, I'm going to start um, with you, Tom, if you could kick it off for us, that'd be great. Sure. Hi, my name's Tom Dream. I'm a director of documentaries and music videos based in Margate in Kent in the UK. And my film is a short documentary called Shy Radicals, uh, which I completed last year. Um, It was funded by the BFI Doc Society. It was the first short documentary I've directed, apart from a six minute short I did the previous year, but that was more of a, a live music piece. That was the first real sort of short documentary I've made. The film is a portrait of uh, an artist and activist called Hamja Asan. And it looks into the book Shy Radicals that he wrote, um, which is a satirical political manifesto, um, which imagines a nation state for quiet, shy, and autistic spectrum peoples called Aspergistan. And the whole idea is he's created this nation state and this idea to overthrow extrovert supremacy. Um, and it looks into sort of some of the reasons why he wrote the book um, and uh, his creative process mm-hmm. in, in making the book and creating this place. And uh, yeah, it was incredible to make. And I'm really happy that it's being shared in Ireland at this festival. But I'm a creep. The fact that we're still singing this song makes me feel like the world's not a better place. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, if we all got together or we performed some sort of movement together, we could yeah. make the world a better place and use that song to connect all of us. And that's something that I really resonate with. That's a goal and a project that I'd really want to be part of. You should join the shy resistance movement then. I'd love to. I want you to know. Brilliant, Tom. Thanks for that. And we will delve deeper um, as we go through the interview um, about, about your film. And I'd like you to do the same if you can, um, Alex and Caitlin. My name is Caitlin Swalger. I'm the um, co-director and writer of the documentary, the short documentary Snowy. Um, I am a film director and uh, science journalist. My name is Alex Wolf-Lewis. I'm the co-director and cinematographer of the short documentary Snowy. 
uh, and I'm a cinematographer and documentary director. And we're based in Portland, Maine. You want to talk about the uh, oh right the, the why we're here? <laughs> uh, Snowy is a short comedic documentary about my uncle's pet turtle that's been living in his basement in a sad tank for 25 years. And so year after year, we would go there for Thanksgiving to celebrate. And I'm always wondering how the hell this turtle is alive, and wondering, or surely it can't be happy. And so this film was kind of an investigation into whether or not Snowy was happy. And what can be done to potentially improve the situation. He's not really happy with where he is. He kind of feels like he lives in inferior housing. And it is kind of a prison. It does make him really feel inadequate and sad. Snowy is our family's pet turtle. He lives in the corner of our basement. If there's anyone to feel guilty, it's you, Will. Yeah, you're a horrible person. <laughs> Brilliant. And like I said, looking forward to getting into that uh, into more detail as well. And I suppose I think what I am, having watched the films, um, although they're all really, really unique and very different um, in subject matter, the one thing that stood out to me was kind of the idea of people coming together for a, a, a needy cause you know, to actually, you know, strength in unity, strength in community and coming together to solve a, a problem for someone else in need. And as much as like the films are very different in subject matter, one being, you know, a, about a turtle as such and Tom, yours being about, you know, the introverts, the plight of the introverts in the world. There's still an end goal at the end of it and a needy cause. And uh, yeah, and they're so, so similar and uh, very, very touching uh, to watch both of them. And I suppose what I'd like to ask um, all of you as well is when it came to making the film itself, like as, as a documentary filmmaker, there's like I'm, there can be an idea every day or every week that could come into your head or you come across a story or, 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 or a person or a subject and like, oh, I'll make a film about that. So what was it about this particular subject matter that made you see it through and what, what compelled you to actually make the film? Tom, I'll go with you, please. Sure. I stumbled across Hamja's book, uh, Shy Radicals, in a bookstore for introverts where I live in Margate and it's a very quiet, um, bookshop with just one wall uh, there's only about 20 titles 20 books in the store and uh, something about it just appealed to me immediately and I couldn't tell if it was like a serious book or not it's you know it was like hilariously funny but then at the same time I could sense that there was some deeper um, meaning behind all of the ideas within all of and they're, they're incredibly visual ideas that Hamdred created in this uh short text and the way it was written like a political manifesto but then it also felt yeah there was something about it which just really appealed to me and I just had to find out more about the author and so I found him on Instagram we arranged to meet up it turned out he lived in South London quite close to where I grew up um, okay. so we arranged to meet and immediately we just got on and we had a great conversation and, and decided that we wanted to work together on something inspired by this book. So it was really the, the, 
that conversation which inspired us to to go on and and uh create the film um i hope that answers your question yes it does no it does because i'm always curious about stuff like this as to how how directors and subject matters meet and and how does that happen you know there's there's so many films where like the subject themselves have discovered the director you know and decides to collaborate or it can be the other way around which is what has happened in your case tom and mm. I suppose what's a bonus in, 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 with your film as well is that the subject matter is so vast. You, you almost had like two parts to the document. There's two stories aligned in the documentary. And mm. like when you uh, initially um, discovered um, the book and him, did you, did you realize the second, without giving too much away, did you realize the second part of that story existed or... No, I didn't have any clue about Hamja's background whatsoever, actually. I did an initial bit of research into him and discovered that he'd worked in activism, but I didn't know specifically why. Uh-huh. And uh, the yeah, that all emerged in that first meeting. He described how his brother had been wrongfully accused and arrested uh, on anti-terrorism charges and had been detained for the longest period of in British history and um, he had then led the campaign to free his brother prevent him from being extradited to the United States all the while um, being a introverted person and identifying as a shy quiet introverted person Um, the contrast between you know having that sense of character and personality but doing something as brave as leading a campaign to free someone against the, you know, institutions of both the UK and America. This like, you know, the, the biggest powers you can imagine. Um, just really, I found, I found incredibly inspiring. And the way he did it using, you know, his creativity to go about, I mean, the campaign, just to briefly touch upon it, uh, was based around publishing his brother's poetry that he was writing in solitary confinement uh that was and he was nominated for an a a a human rights award uh for for the create creativity in his campaign so and the book was a sort of result of that was a reaction to his experiences um that's how he and now he's touring with the book and you know it he's using it as a vehicle to talk about these much deeper issues so, yeah, that's what th- there's so much there to mm-hmm. unpack to and unpack. discuss. There really is. That's why. <laughs> and you squeeze like I, what I love about it is into, your film is about 22 minutes long, isn't it? Yeah. So that's right. Like you, you, you squeeze so much into those 22 minutes. Like and there's almost mm. parts where it like it almost it's almost like a docudrama style that comes about cross with like, you know, a, nearly, a beautiful music video. And, you mm. know, it's. I was I was just wondering when I was watching it, like when it came to the edit or when it, when it came to like the process itself, did you have all those ideas in your mind to begin with or did they develop throughout filming or what happened there? I think I didn't really know what I was doing. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. <laughs> I, I, I learned very much on the job of a director called Julian Temple that I've assisted and worked in the camera department for the last 10 years and the way he works is quite unusual too. Uh, I don't think I've had very traditional uh, education in film, but I, yeah, it's lots of, I, I suppose you call them vignettes 
facts or scenes that are literally pulled from the book, these fictional scenarios that I really wanted to recreate visually just to give a sense of what the book contains and then interweave that with uh, more traditional documentary aspects. Um, I thought it would be a fun thing to try. It was very difficult to edit as a result, but um, yeah, yeah, it's... Just, yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, what, what did you? Because just like, what did you? What was there much on the editing floor? Like, did you did you have to really be kind of ruthless in your in your editing, or you know, did did you have a lot of scope there? There's probably four other films there to mm. to make, and we we actually made another fifteen minute film based on one conversation that wasn't included in the film, but was so interesting. We just basically created a film out of that, like totally unedited uh, to a soundtrack that a friend composed. So there was, yeah, it was, it was difficult. I, I learned a lot from the process and I think I was so excited by having, um, you know, the BFI Doc Society support me as a, director a new director I, I I really overshot um and probably uh well I say I won't do that again but I'm literally doing it again now with the film I'm making <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah. you know it was it's a very exciting process to work with someone who you find uh an, an inspiring artist um yeah it's difficult to know when to stop shooting and when you've got enough but um yeah and and sometimes enough is never enough because you're so excited in the moment as well and the mm. whole the whole like experience is so thrilling and there's an adrenaline there but to find out more information get more footage like you say you could have four films within the one film you've made you know so I'm not, surpri- I'm not surprised you've moved on to, to to do another aspect be looking forward to seeing that whenever whenever you you develop that one thank you um, I'm just going to move on now to um Alex and Caitlin and kind of ask you as well in relation to your film it's yeah I know that it was filmed like um in your your uncle's and cousin's home right you know and it's about it's about this turtle who's been what you believe to be kind of abandoned in the basement and and you're like that you're going to save him and and bring him a new a new life as such but I was wondering about that as well like what actually then like made you to write I'm going to make the film like you know I know that you uh, Alex you've had a bit of background in uh, cinematography for um, well-groomed and stuff like that so I was just wondering was there any connection there with animals or was it just did it start out as an innocent family project or how did it all come about? I'd say it wasn't innocent. We were out to get my uncle. We wanted to, but we wanted to help hold him accountable for his years of, no, it was kind of like I was saying before, uh, just this idea that was in my head. I'm like, I think I'm very attracted to comedies. I love American movie. It's one of our favorite films. We love the office. So that I think deep down, we knew that there was some kind of element here that would lend itself to a documentary and kind of taking a, uh, a comedic uh, angle on it, but it wasn't until I brought this idea to Caitlin because she has writing chops, you know, research, sort of more experience in that world of bringing a story together. And she's like, no, there really is a, a, a documentary here. And I was just so nervous to make sort of a investigative <laughs> documentary about my family. Uh, you can't see that on the podcast. I made air quotes because it's, you know, well, you'll see the yeah. film and you know. Um, Alex kind of kept kept nagging at me. You know, there's this turtle in the basement. We've got to make a film. And I'm like, what the hell is this film about? What's I don't story? understand. 
Um, and then I finally did meet Snowy and I was like, okay, well, if we're gonna make a story about it, we have to have some sort of outside perspective on it. Cause you know, you can only roll around the, the idea of turtle happiness for so long where nobody has any information whatsoever. Um, so I was in touch with this woman named Dr. Irene Pepperberg. She's um, famous, she's a Harvard animal researcher, famous for teaching this parrot named Alex how to talk. Different and Alex. Different Alex. <laughs> um, and she directed me to this woman, um, Dr. Anna Wilkinson, who runs the Cold-Blooded Cognition Lab um, in, in what, what Lincoln. Lincoln, in, in Lincoln, England. Um, and yeah, she was absolutely perfect and was like, I'd be more than happy to tell you, you know, everything I know about turtle memory and what it's aware of and, you know, what it's experiencing and what its ideal conditions are. So I think from there, we were confident that we could put something together. But we did initially struggle with how to sort of end the story because there wasn't a natural, everything that happens in the film, we kind of make happen, which uh, the, the, nothing would have happened with the turtle. So initially we were thinking, maybe we can force my <laughs> uncle to give the turtle away to some <laughs> turtle sanctuary. No, and he, we take posters and put them on the telephone poles, needy turtle looking for a new home. He was very <laughs> reluctant. He was a little cruel, so we took a different a different route. <laughs> yeah, we need, we knew we needed to sort of sort of manufacture in a way the kind of arc of the story. Yeah, in but the same way it, we had. It made it really fascinating because, like you know, to learn about you know an animal's per like perception of the world and and its happiness and its state of mind and its state of being and all like. It, it added a, a, a brilliant depth to the film that I wasn't expecting, you know, at all, because for the whole, for, as soon as your film came on, I just had a smile on my face. I knew straight away that it was going to like, you know, bring me joy. And, but to have that other scientific kind of research end of things, like as, as an added bonus, it was really, really, I, I suppose a really clever form of filmmaking to do that. You know, so um, which, like you say, has kind of rounded off the documentary for you and made it a fuller, fuller piece. Because, God, imagine putting up signs for Snowy to be taken away to a happier place. We were like, you can visit him. It'll be OK. It's for the better of Snowy and the film. You have to do this. <laughs> yeah, we abandoned that. Yes. And I suppose an interesting um, thought crossed my mind when I was watching it as well which was how it was to film your family. You know, like some people might say, oh, sure, that's easy peasy. You know, you, you know everybody or, you know, I'm sure it came with its challenges and advantages. And I suppose your own work and relationship within that as well. How did all, all that pan out? So I'd say... I, th I think we really benefited from Alex being very close. And while me knowing them intimately didn't have the same hesitations around sort of making this sort of I gotcha film that was Alex was very hesitant and, well, and just... not wanting to frame Larry as the bad guy and then show his family the film and everyone be like you're making us look terrible and I was like no no was, yeah. ask the hard questions it's it's fine the stakes are low ultimately this film is about a turtle so I'm just you know yeah I was just worried that it would get back you know from my grandma or my mom that I'm you know hassling my family shaming and I, the family shaming the family uh, but the definitely the positive was sleeping where you're filming. You know, we could just wake up and he would, my uncle would feed us. They were, you know, they were gracious and, you know, are you hungry? Are you tired? What do you need? Yeah, I mean, so much, so much about filming a documentary is this constant negotiation between the filmmaker and the subject and kind of justifying continuing to film and why you're filming and 
you know, how you need this one more scene. Mm -hmm. So there was a big benefit in it being with family. And they were kind of constantly like, we have no idea what you're doing. No one's going to watch this, but we love you and stay as long as you want. So <laughs> that the film certainly benefited from, from that relationship. Like little as, did they realize it would make it to Sundance and everything and be on a world tour like, at yeah. the time. We still think that might, have been, that might have been a mistake that Sundance couldn't take back, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's it's a wonderful piece of filmmaking because um, not only is it is it educational, but it, it actually I, I developed a love for turtles that I never had, you know, like so if, if anything, like it's, it's highlighting the plight of the turtle and particularly ones that are left in basements for that amount of time. But when he's actually set free, you know, that scene is so beautiful, like in the grass, like he's outside and you're kind of like, go, snowy, go move those legs, you know. So I just and another thing that came across in the film for me was that there was great humor in it and there was great felt great love and connection within the family itself. I assume there were times where, I mean, you were just having a great laugh, you know, and that you may have had to reshoot things or. Yeah, Alex is notorious for whenever we're filming together. He can't keep it together if there's even like a really subtle joke or he's a little tired. Oh, no. Plus something funny happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's disastrous. And I think. I mean, the film certainly benefited from it, but it also led to a lot of laughing as I'm from New Jersey. Alex grew up in New York. Alex's uncle, they're all from New Jersey. So there's very much a shared sense of humor. Everybody found this whole, the whole premise of the film ridiculous. There was one point where we're filming the turtle just waiting to eat the worm. 20 <laughs> seconds, 30 seconds. Nothing. And then, and then we just all start cracking up and we can't recover for, I don't know, five minutes. We're like gasping for air. Yeah. There's a lot well, it, it is particularly funny that scene. <laughs> I'm thinking of it now. It is, it is, it is very, very funny. That's when you're giving them all the support as well. You go on, Snowy, you can hunt, you can do this. <laughs> but you know, how is he now? Actually, how how is Snowy doing now? Is he still he's good? Hard. He's, he's, got... he's thriving. You know, we do little check-ins. We're like, are you taking him in the yard? Is his heat lamp light bulb working? You know, well, I think you know the. A lot of the film we make happen, we go to England, we force my uncle, but I think the emotional journey that my uncle and my family goes on is real. And maybe that's why a lot of the film lands uh, so well. He really did have this sort of transformation where you reconsider this object or this object, sorry, this animal <laughs> yes, that, that you kind of, it becomes a routine and you're not able to kind of see it with new eyes yeah there's there's certainly this theme that extends beyond just a relationship between a, a human and a pet which is you know with without all of the information of somebody's quality of life you can think that what you're providing is sufficient um mm. and it, it isn't at all it's not even close. close um so larry certainly isn't the bad guy but you know prior to him receiving all of this information he kind of thought what he was doing was sufficient um so, yeah, and I yeah. think the, the I think the line wasn't it's something like um, just because something is surviving doesn't mean it's it's happy or or exactly. something something along along that theme. And no, Larry doesn't come off as as a baddie at all. You know, it's like it's actually quite endearing <laughs> to see him like connect with 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 Snowy and then Snowy recognizes him. I mean, it's just bring a tear to your eye the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> like really um so in that regard like that's what I think what I was trying to say with, with the connection between the films it's like like Tom for you and your film as well you know it's about connection and like the um uh Hamja um actually like 
unknowingly like builds this like coalition of, of shy people and it becomes a global movement but it's mm. like a similar thing like it came from one kernel of an idea you know what I mean one kernel of idea can then spreads you know and everyone becomes a team and collaborates to for, for for the greater good and in Snowy's case that definitely made his life better and the film itself will highly educate people on on how animals think and for, for your film Tom I found it like fascinating because I like so many introverts that I would know I think we all have a bit of we're all slightly introverted you know in our own little ways but for him to like actually approach this like a, a solid movement like the suffragettes or we you know he mentions mm. that in the film and you can actually I can actually see it becoming a thing like well it is a thing I just wasn't aware of it so in yeah. that in that regard like how do you feel about your film actually possibly and um, contributing to what could even become a bigger global movement I I, I mean Hamja himself calls himself the commander-in-chief of the introvert resistance and says he's on a never-ending world tour to overthrow extrovert supremacy. And in a way, he is, like, he's travelling the world. His connection with uh, the art world means that his work is being seen um, in, you know, countries all over the world. He's being invited to exhibit work inspired by his book and one of the exhibitions he did a couple of years ago in Slovenia uh, was a um, it was effectively a vote where you could uh, vote where citizens of the local area could vote whether to um, leave their city or become part of Aspergistan and sort of uh, split away from it so it was a referendum based around the the, the Brexit can, campaign, kind of inspired by a lot of the political messaging and propaganda that was going on at the time in this country. Um, he just sort of taken that and applied it to his um, to his uh, to his uh, idea of Asperghistan. So, um, and that that was really uh successful, and he was awarded the grand prize at that particular exhibition. Uh, in Ljubljana, Slovenia. So he he is sort of touring and inspiring people about his work all over the world. And I think no matter where you identify on the scale of introversion to extroversion, and I do think it's it's a little more complicated than you know the one or the other. I certainly um, need uh, time away from from things and from the the busyness of of life um and can sort of identify in, in both camps uh, but it certainly made me think differently about like the way society is structured like it is definitely geared towards uh people that are comfortable in social situations and feel comfortable standing and speaking to 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 you know your class or a crowd uh, so yeah it it makes you rethink just about how how things like might be different and how people that identify as introverts shy or quiet like how how we might include these people into uh conversations within society and in and it applies to so many different areas of 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 being so i i think in that sense anyone can learn something from from the film and and the work he's doing and 
by taking it to the extremes of overthrowing the idea of extrovert supremacy <laughs> and all of this language he's using, obviously playfully. But uh, yeah, by taking it to the extreme, I think it it highlights it in a in a fun, like interesting, creative way. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's 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 what I think about both of your films is that they. Um, not only do they entertain, but they educate. And I think that is like the, the marker of a, of a good, as you say, nonfiction or documentary film is that it, do, it, do, it does both. You know, it entertains, it educates and it inspires. It, like, it inspires change of, of some sort. You know, like I, I definitely have learned way more about animals' perceptions or, or what you're not allowed to call them mammals, wasn't it? They said, don't call the turtle a mammal or something, you know, like, or so, something about that. And then I've learned way more about like the whole, the plight of, of an introvert and just all that stuff and the extra layer right, in your film, Tom, about the, that extradition case. Like, so I suppose on that note, what I'd like to ask um, all of you is, what was it initially in your lives that led you down the path of a filmmaking or was it a, a photography? Was it what actually and how did you end up in documentary filmmaking? What inspired you to get involved in that? I'll ask you, Alex and Caitlin. I feel like doc, I, 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 I completely identify with what you just said, Tom, in terms of being kind of maybe in the middle. So there's definitely situations I'd say maybe I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert and having a camera in your hand gives you an excuse to be anywhere and talk to anybody. And it kind of gives you a reason to be in a certain situation. And I think I always dreamt as a kid or a young, younger, younger me to explore the world, see people be in situations that I never thought I could be in or would be in or never had a reason to. And, and just having a reason to be there. So even if you're not taking photos, if your camera's on your shoulder or if you're holding your camera and you're talking to somebody uh, it opens up the world to you for introverts. Um, I I grew up uh, I, I grew up at sort of the family company, which is forensic engineering. Um, so if something goes wrong, if a gas plant explodes and a bunch of people are injured, they kind of go in and figure out what what happened um, from kind of a, a techie perspective and who is at fault. Um, so I kind of grew up with all of these cautionary tales being told to me about carnival rides breaking down and people tripping downstairs. And um, my dad is a very overprotective father as, as a result of this, but um, had a real knack for storytelling because of all of these ridiculous cases that came into the company. Um, so I think I was kind of raised with this sort of storytelling lens um, in the way that we saw the world. So I think it was telling stories and being very drawn to stories was, was something that was um, that I grew up with but it, yeah it, it took a while to sort of realize that, that that's something that could be done as a profession <laughs> yes and isn't it brilliant when, when, when you actually realize that and then like the world is your oyster then when it comes to like subject matter it's never ending if, if 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 you had the time as a filmmaker to make all of the ideas that pop into your head as a documentary filmmaker you know god well, anyway, we, we do it all. We still do that type of thing. We still squeeze in as many film and airs as we can into a documentary. <laughs> and Tom, I'd like to ask you the same question then. How was it that you landed in the filmmaking and documentary arena? I, I definitely relate a lot to what Alex said. And I feel exactly the same. It's a real privilege to be able to, um, you know, travel and meet interesting people and sort of follow uh, stories, um, 
that you might not otherwise get access to or might not otherwise have the confidence to like approach. Um, I think the first thing for me, like my uncle is a cameraman. And um, when I was young, I was just constantly fascinated by all of the awesome stuff he was doing. I think I must have been about eight or nine years old. And in the course of one summer, every time I saw him, he just filmed Oasis at Nebworth, you know, this one of the most famous like concerts of all time. I was a huge Oasis fan. And then he filmed Jeff Buckley at one point. And then this other other time he said he'd just been swimming with sharks. And I was just thinking, what the hell is this job? Like how I just <laughs> yeah. thought he was, you I know, some sort that. of yeah. yeah, like a superhero. <laughs> um but I, I didn't really figure out what he did for another like I don't know 15 years until I had uh you know until I was looking for work in London during the recession there was nothing really to do I started assisting him on projects and then um gradually discovered what what all of this industry was about um and capturing live music is where where I began sort of working in uh production and in film and you know filming live performances is something I still really enjoy and I just have grown a a greater interest in finding out more about um artists and 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 their processes I find it fascinating chatting to people about why they've made certain pieces of art or music and, and and what inspired them brilliant okay yeah well that, that's a good and so you yeah Alex yeah I just wanted to add one thing to mm-hmm. how I got into it because Tom, what you said reminded me. There's this amazing. I'm not. There's this amazing store in New York called B and H, and my mm-hmm. friend and I, when we were at nine or ten years old, on our free time, we would go there and just like look at the glass and look at the cameras, and it was this magical land. So it's just something about also the technology and filmmaking having this sort of magical quality of like wow, there are all these buttons and all these different things to push. I remember that from a young age too. Yes, and then I suppose in the, in the times we're living in now, it's it's like w- w- I suppose we're blessed insofar as it's so much easier now to have a camera in your hand, like a DSLR or even or whatever it is to sh- to start shooting. I mean, because obviously years ago it was a very different ball game when you know it was all you know, like film, film, and all that type of stuff. So I do think like it's it's been revolutionary, like what what has happened. Uh, in the digital age that it's given like people like who may not have ever picked up a camera in their life the ability to go out and and film something and, and tell a story or make a documentary you know so um i'm 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 glad for the this this time that we're living in for sure um is there anything else that you'd like to add to um the podcast for our listeners yeah maybe you think you have to travel to some far-flung places or the desert or you know diving with sharks but if you especially maybe it was even the pandemic that kind of turned us on to this but if you look closely and you look around your life there there's actually stories everywhere and the fact that they're in your inner circle make them easier to tell uh if you're you're starting out or even if you're not um you kind of have more readily available access so i think now our new approach is kind of looking out our front window and it's like hello is there (laughs) there a story out there and then (laughs) It makes a greater connection to the place you live, but it also accesses a little bit easier. You're not kind of fighting the uphill battle to just get in because you're already there. Yes. So your film was shot throughout then uh, COVID, was it? um, We we finished our last shoot day was like right before the lockdown. Um, 
and then we were okay. editing through our COVID. Yeah, timing was really serendipitous. It ended right right when it hit. Yeah. Yeah. We started okay. COVID. And then, then you were locked inside to edit, which is what happens anyway when you go into the editing vortex. So it kind of <laughs> kind of all worked out. Yeah. What about you, Tom, actually, before we sign off? Did, did, did you film yours throughout COVID or was it before or half and half? Or It's kind of strange how it all came about because I just finished editing actually when it when um, COVID hit. I think it was middle of March, wasn't it? And yeah, so I'd been in an edit suite with an editor uh, or just in isolation for, for quite a while. And the film is obviously about creating space to, to get away from all of the chaos of the city and the outside world. And then suddenly <laughs> we were forced into it for yes. whatever it's been, you know? Um, so that was kind of a cruel irony, I suppose. Uh, it was all I your don't fault. know if it was the sort of, you know, utopian <laughs> introvert um, idea that Hamja had uh, thought about. And it made me think a lot deeper about the themes of the film, actually, when when the pandemic began. And um, yeah, I think I'm still kind of reflecting on on those ideas now. So there's, yeah. I don't know if like forced isolation is necessarily a healthy <laughs> um, way forward for an introvert or an extrovert. But um, yeah, I think, I think it, it, it certainly has changed the meaning of, of some of the ideas within the film. Um, but I, I love what you guys are saying about looking for stories closer to home. And I've certainly learned uh, a lot of that myself during this time and so that that's brilliant advice that I myself am also taking to at the moment. So on that lovely note, um, we can end the podcast here. And um, I suppose I'd just like to ask one more question. Is this your first time to screen a film in Ireland? And how are you feeling about your film being screened at Still Voices? Oh, we're so excited. This is our first time screening in Ireland. And uh, thank you so much to Still Voices Short Film Festival for having us. Uh, we don't know if we can make it there yet, but we'll be there in spirit and we'll, we're sending good turtle. It's incredibly karma. exciting to know that the film is being filmed so far from home. Brilliant. And Tom? Uh, yeah, really excited to have Shy Radicals screen in Ireland at Still Voices. It will be the first time I've had a film screen in Ireland, which is really meaningful. I have family um, uh, that live nearby, so hopefully we'll be able to come over and visit them and also check out the festival. Thanks so much. Um, thank you so much for your time today and your insights into your filmmaking process and your inspirations and everything beyond. And uh, congratulations again on your film being selected for Still Voices. So thank you to Tom Dream, um, whose film is Shy Radicals. Um, we have Alexander and Caitlin, whose film is Snowy. And um, wish you best of luck in all of your future endeavours in the documentary field and um, look forward to seeing your future work. Okay. Thanks so much, Jenny. Cheers, no guys. No worries. Thanks so much for having us. Lovely and to listen. meet you all. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Still Voices Short Film Festival takes place from the 4th to the 7th of November. Explore the full programme and book tickets at stillvoicesfilmfestival.com. And of course, be sure to check out filmireland.net.